Chapter Eleven, Part Two of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume Three. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mysteries of Paris, Volume Three by Eugène Sue. Chapter Eleven, Part Two of La Louve and La Goualeuse. Really, though, La Goualeuse, is it true? I should call myself Madame Martial, said La Louve with a sort of pride. Madame Martial which is better than being called la louve is it not pardieu why there's no doubt but i should rather be called by my man's name than the name of a wild beast but bah bah louve i was born louve i shall die who knows who can say not to shrink from a life that is hard but honest will ensure success so then work would not frighten you oh certainly not it is not a husband and four or five brats to take care of that would give me any trouble but then it would not be all work there are moments for rest in the winter evenings when the children were put to bed and your husband smoked his pipe whilst he was cleaning his gun or caressing his dogs you would have a little leisure leisure sit with my arms crossed before me ma foi no i would rather mend the linen by the side of the fire in the evening that is not a very hard job and in winter the days are so short as fleur de marie proceeded la louve forgot more and more of the present for the dreams of the future as deeply interested as la goualeuse had been before her when rodolphe had talked to her of the rustic delights of the bouqueval farm la louve did not attempt to conceal the wild taste with which her lover had inspired her remembering the deep and wholesome impression which she had experienced from the smiling picture of rodolphe in relation to a country life fleur de marie was desirous of trying the same means of action on la louve thinking with reason that if her companion was so far affected at the sketch of a rude poor and solitary life as to desire ardently such an existence she merited interest and pity delighted to see her companion listen to her with attention la goualeuse continued smiling and then you see madame martial let me call you so what does it matter quite the contrary it flatters me then la louve shrugged her shoulders and smiling also added what folly to play at madame are we children well it's all the same go on it's quite amusing you said i was saying madame martial that in speaking of your life the winter in the thickest of the woods we were only alluding to the worst of the seasons ma foi no that is not the worst to hear the wind whistle all night in the forest and the wolves howl from time to time far off very far off i shouldn't tire of that provided i was at the fireside with my man and my children or even quite alone if my man was going his rounds ah i am not afraid of a gun if i had my children to defend i could do that the wolf would guard her cubs oh i can well believe you you are very brave you are but i am a coward i prefer spring to the winter when the leaves are green when the pretty wild flowers bloom and they smell so sweet so sweet that the air is quite scented and then your children would roll about so merrily in the fresh grass and then the forest would be so thick that you could hardly see your house in the midst of the foliage i can fancy that i see it now in front of the house is a vine full of leaves which your husband has planted and which shades the bank of turf where he sleeps during the noonday heat whilst you are going backwards and forwards desiring the children not to wake their father i don't know whether you have remarked it but in the heat of summer about midday there is in the woods as deep silence as at midnight 
you don't hear the leaves shake nor the birds sing yes that's true replied la louve almost mechanically who became more and more forgetful of the reality and almost believed she saw before her the smiling pictures which the poetical imagination of fleur-de-marie so instinctively amorous of the beauties of nature presented before her delighted at the deep attention which her companion lent her la goualeuse continued allowing herself to be drawn on by the charm of the thoughts which she called up there is one thing which i love almost as well as the silence of the woods and that is the noise of the heavy drops of rain falling on the leaves do you like that too oh yes i am very fond of a summer shower so am i and when the trees the moss and the grass are all moistened what a delightfully fresh odour they give out and then how the sun as it passes over the trees makes all the little drops of water glisten as they hang from the leaves have you ever noticed that yes i remember it now because you tell me of it yet how droll all this is but goualeuse you talk so well that one seems to see everything to see everything just as you talk and then i really do not know how to explain it all but now what you say seems good it is quite pleasant just like the rain we were talking of oh don't suppose that we are the only creatures who love a summer shower the dear little birds how delighted they are how they shake their feathers whilst they warble so joyously not more joyously though than your children your children as free and gay and light-hearted as they and then look as the day declines the youngest children run across the wood to meet the elder who brings back the two heifers from pasture for they have heard the tinkling of the bell in the distance yes goualeuse i think i see the smallest and boldest whom his brother has put astride on the back of one of the cows and one would say that the poor animal knows what burden she bears she steps so carefully but it is supper-time your eldest child whilst he has been tending the cows at pasture has amused himself with gathering for you a basket of beautiful strawberries which he has brought quite fresh under a thick covering of wild violets strawberries and violets ah what a lovely smell they have but where the deuce did you find all these ideas la goualeuse in the woods where the strawberries ripen and the violets blow you have only to look and gather them but let us go on with our housekeeping it is night and you must milk your heifers prepare your supper under the shelter of the vine for you hear your husband's dogs bark and then their master's voice who tired as he is comes home singing and who would not sing when on a fine summer's eve with cheerful heart you return to the house where a good wife and five children are waiting for you eh madame martial true true one could not but sing replied la louve becoming more and more thoughtful unless one weeps for joy continued fleur-de-marie herself much touched and such tears are as sweet as songs and then when night has completely come what a pleasure to sit in the arbour and enjoy the calmness of a fine evening to breathe the sweet odour of the forest to hear the prattle of the children to look at the stars then the heart is so full so full that it must pour out its prayer it must thank him to whom we are indebted for the freshness of the evening the sweet scent of the woods the gentle brightness of the starry sky after this thanksgiving or this prayer we go to sleep tranquilly till the next day and then again thank our creator and this poor hard-working but calm and honest life is the same each and every day every day repeated la louve with her head drooping on her chest her look fixed her breast oppressed 
for it is true the good god is good to give us wherewithal to live upon and to make us happy with so little well tell me now continued fleur-de-marie gently tell me ought not he to be blessed after god who should give you this peaceable and laborious life instead of the wretched existence you lead in the mud of the streets of paris this word paris suddenly recalled la louve to reality a strange phenomenon had taken place in the mind of this creature the simple painting of a humble and rude condition the mere recital by turns lighted up by the soft rays from the domestic hearth gilded by some joyful sunbeams refreshed by the breeze of the great woods or perfumed by the odour of wild flowers this narrative had made on la louve a more profound or more sensible impression than could an exhortation of the most pious morality have effected in truth in proportion as fleur-de-marie spoke la louve had longed to be and meant to be an indefatigable manager a worthy wife an affectionate and devoted mother to inspire even for an instant a violent immoral and degraded woman with a love of home respect for duty a taste for labour and gratitude towards her creator and that by only promising her what god gives to all the sun the sky the depths of the forest what society owes to those who lack a roof and a loaf was indeed a glorious triumph for fleur-de-marie could the most severe moralist the most overpowering preacher have obtained more in threatening in their monotonous and menacing orations all human vengeances all divine thunders the painful anger with which la louve was possessed when she returned to the reality after having allowed herself to be charmed by the new and wholesome reverie in which for the first time fleur-de-marie had plunged her proved the influence of her words on her unfortunate companion the more bitter were la louve's regrets when she fell back from this consoling delusion to the horrors of her real position the greater was la goualeuse's triumph after a moment's silence and reflection la louve raised her head suddenly passed her hand over her brow and rose threatening and angry see see i had reason to mistrust you and to desire not to listen to you because it would turn to ill for me why did you talk thus to me why make a jest of me why mock me and because i have been so weak as to say to you that i should like to live in the depths of a forest with my man who are you then that you should make a fool of me in this way you miserable girl don't you know what you have done now in spite of myself i shall always be thinking of this forest the house and-and the children and all that happiness which i shall never have never never and if i cannot forget what you have told me why my life will be one eternal punishment a hell and that by your fault yes by your fault so much the better oh so much the better said fleur-de-marie you say so much the better exclaimed la louve with her eyes glaring yes so much the better for if your present miserable life appears to you a hell you will prefer that of which i have spoken to you what is the use of preferring it since it is not destined for me what is the use of regretting that i walk the streets since i shall die in the streets exclaimed la louve more and more irritated and taking in her powerful grasp the small hand of fleur-de-marie answer answer why do you try to make me desire that which i cannot have to desire an honest and industrious life is to be worthy of that life as i have already told you replied fleur-de-marie without attempting to disengage her hand 
well and what then suppose i am worthy what does that prove how much the better off will that make me to see realize what you consider as a dream answered fleur-de-marie in a tone so serious and full of conviction that la louve again under control let go la goualeuse's hand and gazed at her in amazement listen to me la louve said fleur-de-marie in a voice full of feeling do you think me so wicked as to excite such ideas and hopes in you if i were not sure that whilst i made you blush at your present condition i gave you the means to quit it you you can do this i no but some one who is good and great and powerful great and powerful listen la louve three months ago i was like you a lost and abandoned creature one day he of whom i speak to you with tears of gratitude and fleur de marie wiped her eyes one day he came to me and he was not afraid abased and despised as i was to say comforting words to me the first i had ever heard i told him my sufferings my miseries my shame i concealed nothing from him just as you have related to me all your past life la louve after having listened to me with kindness he did not blame but pitied me he did not even reproach me with my disgraceful position but talked to me of the calm and pure life which was found in the country as you did just now then my situation appeared to me the more frightful in proportion as the future he held out to me seemed more beautiful like me yes and so i said as you did what use alas is it to make me fancy this paradise me who am chained to hell but i was wrong to despair for he of whom i speak is so good so just that he is incapable of making a false hope shine in the eyes of a poor creature who asked no one for pity happiness or hope and what did he do for you he treated me like a sick child i was like you immersed in a corrupted air and he set me to breathe a wholesome and reviving atmosphere i was also living amongst hideous and criminal beings and he confided me to persons as good as himself who have purified my soul and elevated my mind for he communicates to all those who love and respect him a spark of his own refined intelligence yes if my words move you la louve if my tears make your tears flow it is that his mind and thought inspire me if i speak to you of the happier future which you will obtain by repentance it is because i can promise you this future in his name although at this moment he is ignorant of the engagement i make in fact i say to you hope because he always listens to the voice of those who desire to become better for god sent him on earth to make people believe in his providence as she spoke fleur de marie's countenance became radiant and her pale cheeks suffused with a delicate carnation her beautiful eyes sparkled and she appeared so touchingly beautiful that la louve gazed on her with respectful admiration and said where am i do i dream who are you then oh i was right when i said you were not one of us but then you talk so well you who can do so much you who know such powerful people how is it that you are here a prisoner with us fleur de marie was about to reply when madame armand came up and interrupted her to conduct her to madame d'harville la louve remained overwhelmed with surprise and the inspectress said to her i see with pleasure that the presence of la goualeuse in the prison has brought good fortune to you and your companions i know you have made a subscription for poor mont saint jean that is kind and charitable la louve and will be of service to you i was sure that you were better than you allowed yourself to appear in recompense for this kind action 
i think i can promise you that the term of your imprisonment shall be shortened by several days madame armand then walked away followed by fleur de marie we must not be astonished at the almost eloquent language of fleur de marie when we remember that her mind so wonderfully gifted had rapidly developed itself thanks to the education and instruction she had received at bouqueval farm the young girl was indeed strong in her experience the sentiments she had awakened in the heart of la louve had been awakened in her own heart by rodolph and under almost similar circumstances believing that she detected some good instincts in her companion she had endeavoured to lure her back to honesty by proving to her according to rodolph's theory applied to the farm at bouqueval that it was her interest to become honest by pointing out to her restitution to the pass of rectitude in smiling and attractive colours and here let us repeat that in our opinion an incomplete as well as stupid and inefficacious mode is employed to inspire the poor and ignorant classes with a hatred of evil and a love of good in order to turn them away from the bad path they are incessantly threatened with divine and human vengeance incessantly a sinister clank is sounded in their ears prison keep fetters handcuffs and in the distance in dark shadow at the extreme horizon of crime they have their attention directed to the executioner's axe glittering amidst the glare of everlasting flames we observe that the intimidation is constant fearful and appalling to him who does ill imprisonment infamy punishment this is just but to him who does well does society award noble gifts glorious distinctions no does society encourage resignation order probity in that immense mass of artisans who are forever doomed to toil and privation and almost always to profound misery by benevolent rewards no is the scaffold which the criminal ascends a protection for the man of integrity no strange and fatal symbol justice is represented as blind bearing in one hand a sword to punish and in the other scales in which she weighs accusation and defence this is not the image of justice this is the image of law or rather of the man who condemns or acquits according to his conscience justice should hold in one hand a sword and in the other a crown one to strike the wicked and the other to recompense the good the people would then see that if there is a terrible punishment for evil there is a brilliant recompense for good whilst as it is in their plain and simple sense the people seek in vain for the contrary side of tribunals jails galleys and scaffolds the people see plainly a criminal justice consisting of upright inflexible enlightened men always employed in searching out detecting and punishing the evil-doers they do not see the virtuous justice consisting of upright inflexible and enlightened men always searching out and rewarding the honest man all says to him tremble nothing says to him hope all threatens him nothing consoles him the state annually expends many millions for the sterile punishment of crimes with this enormous sum it keeps prisoners and jailers galley slaves and galley sergeants scaffolds and executioners this is necessary agreed but how much does the state disburse for the rewards so salutary so fruitful for honest men nothing and this is not all as we shall demonstrate when the course of this recital shall conduct us to the state prison how many artisans of irreproachable honesty would attain the summit of their wishes 
if they were assured of enjoying one day the bodily comforts of prisoners always certain of good food good bed and good shelter and yet in the name of their dignity as honest men long and painfully tried have they not a right to claim the same care and comforts as criminals such for instance as morel the lapidary who had toiled for twenty years industrious honest and resigned in the midst of bitter misery and sore temptations do not such men deserve sufficiently well of society that society should try and find them out and if not recompense them for the honour of humanity at least support them in the painful and difficult path which they tread so courageously is the man of worth so modest that he finds greater security than the thief or assassin and are not these always detected by criminal justice alas it is a utopia but it is consoling suppose for the moment a society were so organized that it would hold an assizes of virtue as we have assizes of crime a public ministry pointing out noble actions disclosing them to the view of all as we now denounce crimes to the avenging power of the laws we will give two instances two justices and let our readers say which is most fruitful in instruction in consequences in positive results one man has killed another for the purpose of robbing him at break of day they stealthily erect the guillotine in an obscure corner of paris and cut off the assassin's head before the dregs of the populace which laughs at the judge the sufferer and the executioner this is the last resort of society this is the chastisement she bestows on the greatest crime which can be committed against her this is the most terrible the most wholesome warning she can give to her population the only one for there is no counterpoise to this keen axe dripping with blood no society has no spectacle mild and benevolent to oppose to this funereal scene let us go on with our utopia would it not be otherwise if almost every day the people had before their eyes some illustrious virtues greatly glorified and substantially rewarded by the state would it not be to encourage good continually if we often saw an august imposing and venerable tribunal summoned before it in presence of an immense multitude a poor and honest artisan whose long intelligent and enduring life should be described whilst he was thus addressed for twenty years you have manfully struggled against misfortune your family has been brought up by you in the principles of honour and rectitude your superior virtues have greatly distinguished you you merit praise and recompense society always vigilant just and all-powerful never leaves in oblivion either good or evil every man is recompensed according to his works the state assures to you a pension sufficient for your wants obtaining this deserved mark of public notice you will end in leisure and ease a life which is an example to all and thus are and will be exalted those who like yourself shall have struggled for many years with an admirable persistence in good and given proof of rare and grand moral qualities your example will encourage a great many to imitate you hope will lighten the painful burden which their destiny imposes on them for so many years of their life animated by a salutary emulation they will energetically struggle to accomplish the most arduous duties in order that one day they may be distinguished from the rest and rewarded as you are we ask which of the two sites the beheaded assassin or the good man rewarded would act on the million with more salutary and more fruitful effect no doubt many delicate minds will be indignant at the bare thought of these ignoble substantial rewards awarded to the most ethereal thing in the world virtue 
they will find all sorts of arguments more or less philosophical platonic theological and especially economic against such a proposition such as virtue is its own reward virtue is a priceless gem the satisfaction of the conscience is the noblest of recompenses and finally this triumphant and unanswerable objection the eternal happiness which awaits the just in another life ought to be sufficient to encourage mankind to do well to this we reply that society in order to intimidate and punish the guilty does not appear to us to rely entirely and exclusively on the divine vengeance which they tell us will visit them in another world society anticipates the last judgment by human judgments awaiting the inexorable hour of the archangels in armour with sounding trumpets and fiery swords society modestly comforts herself with gendarmes we repeat to terrify the wicked we materialize or rather we reduce to human perceptible and visible proportions the anticipated effects of divine wrath why should we not do the same with the divine rewards to worthy and virtuous people but let us leave these mad absurd stupid impracticable utopianisms like real utopianisms as they are society is as well as it is as those merry souls who with uncertain step stupid look and noisy laugh have just quitted the gay banquet if it is not End of chapter eleven read by celine major